This week on A Lively Experiment, changes are coming for Rhode Islanders receiving federal unemployment benefits. Will it be enough to save the summer tourist season? And government by Zoom, is it helping us or hurting us? One seasoned observer who has first-hand experience weighs in. A Lively Experiment is generously underwritten by... For more than 30 years, A Lively Experiment has provided insight and analysis of important political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm John Hazenwhite, Jr., and I'm proud to support this great program in Rhode Island PBS. Joining us with their insight, Pablo Rodriguez, retired professor at Brown University's Warren Albert Medical School, former state representative Doreen Costa, and political strategist Rob Horowitz. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Live Leaders. Great to have you with us this week. Well, Rhode Island is finally tweaking its unemployment benefits program after an outcry. We talked a lot about it last week by small owners, uh, small business owners who said they're having a hard time getting workers. It's a good start, but some people wonder if it is going to be enough as we go into the busy summer tourist season. Pablo, let me begin with you. I find it interesting that when uh, Kamala Harris and Regina Raimondo were here, somebody asked them, they said, no, 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 we don't think the unemployment benefits are affecting the seasonal tourists. The states are now beginning to take it into their own hands. Uh, there's no doubt that unemployment is affecting uh, the ability for people to hire um, workers. Uh, and, and why not? I mean, uh, if you are making more money uh, on unemployment than working, and it costs you more to go to work because of daycare issues and transportation, then it's a normal thing for people to do. All this means is that, you know, our current uh, lowest in, uh, paid employees are not making enough uh, to, to, to live. We don't have a living wage. So if anything, this tells us that, uh, that we need to increase our, our, our minimum salary to $15 an hour in order for, uh, for work to pay. So the program is going to, uh, Doreen, the program is going to kick in uh, the tweaks to it a little bit later this month. They're going to increase the amount you can still earn and collect. I wonder if you think maybe more needs to be done than that. And what about Pablo's thing about $15 an hour? Well, honestly, Jim, I just think people should just go back to work. I mean, what I did is um, there's so many restaurants that are hiring. So... I actually applied and I am working three nights a week in a restaurant being a server to help out the small businesses. When If unemployment is going to have them, all the people that are, are collecting, they're going to have to have a job search. There is no way that after the first week of job search and these people will have jobs. I mean, you can go down Main Street in East Greenwich, you can down Post Road in Warwick every single business is hiring and me being a server now a few nights a week just for you know my last week everybody out there is so generous because they see us working our tails off because they can't get people to work so i know what's going out there after my day job i come home i put on all black i put on my apron and i go three nights a week to help out the restaurant business there's no reason why you cannot go back to work period there are jobs everywhere for every trade just just go just do it because you're getting that unemployment that unemployment is tax dollars who's paying for that we are just go back to work what did the restaurant owner say when you came in and applied is it a place you would work before did you just go out of the blue did you have a connection i mean he must have been thrilled to see you 
Well, I, I didn't go through the owner who actually knows me. Um, I just went through the regular process. And then two nights later, when I was on the floor, he comes up to me. I mean, I do have a mask on and my hair is up in a ponytail. And he's like, do I know you? So I took my mask down. He's like, Doreen, what are you doing here? And I said, I'm helping you. I said, I'm going to be here for the summer to help you. And he goes, I wish you would have told me you were coming in. I said, no, I just did this on my own. So the jobs are out there. Just go do it. Yeah. Well, I wish everybody had your... Uh had your um, wherewithal to do that. Rob, what do you think about the macro and the micro on this? I think on the macro, there, there are some differences between Rhode Island with a, a much more kind of seasonal tourist economy and the nation. If you look at the nation, I, I, I think um, the point that President Biden and Vice President Harris made is relatively well taken looking at the data. Actually, if you look at the last jobs report, I'm always looking at one jobs report, it's kind of a problem anyway, because they change, as you know, Jim, over time and get corrected. There was big growth in, in the lower paid industries and in the service industry where the problem was, at least in the job support, was more in the higher wages. So the, so the data so far is unclear. Rhode Island, it clearly is a disincentive because there are all these uh, possible, um, because we have a kind of low wage economy, candidly, as, as Pablo said, and there are a lot of jobs going wanting. I do think that the incentives that are being put in have a good chance of working. If you can, most people do want to work. If you can make more money working, people are going to go to work. So I think we have to see as it plays out. And in general, I think both in Rhode Island and nationally, the economy is going to move ahead fairly strongly. All right. There was a bit of a political kerfuffle earlier this week. Uh, Jerry Zarella, who, Doreen, you uh, and he co-chaired the Trump, or the honorary co-chairs of the Trump Rhode Island campaign in 2020. He put together a fundraiser for Dan McKee, the governor. And uh, then we saw uh, this interesting uh, press release come out Sunday night that uh, did not say thank you very much, but I'm going to pass. Uh, it took a lot of uh, shots at Donald Trump. So some people are saying that was a good forceful statement. Others are saying he may have cut off potential supporters uh, who were looking for somebody not on the, the progressive left. So that's the setup. Doreen, I don't know whether you've talked to Jerry about this. They got a lot of uh, it got a lot of play. What are your thoughts about how this played out? Well, I haven't talked to Jerry. I did reach out to him, but it went to voicemail. I'm sure he was extremely busy with all the phone calls <laughs> coming in. Here's my take on it. There is no way on God's green earth that Governor McKee did not know that Jerry Zarella was hosting, hosting this fundraiser. He had a six-week notice, six-week advance notice. His calendar had to be cleared. His scheduler had to make sure that he was available for the fundraiser. So as I watch the news and, and you know, like most of us here, we're, we're news hounds, I, I, I can't help but see um, Governor uh, McKee with Nellie Gorbea, Seth Magazina. So, so someone had to say, hey, look, you can't do this because they're going to be running for governor. And what they're going to do is they're going to run ads and they're going to have you with Jerry Zarella at the farm, Jerry Zarella with the picture of Donald Trump, you associated with Donald Trump. That is a clear way to lose the progressive votes, to, use the, to lose the independent votes. And you also have to remember, Dan McKee did not get elected to governor. He just landed it because of what um, Raimondo, you know, going to Washington. So he's got his work cut out for us. He, he definitely has his work cut out for him. I think... Um, if you look at the fundraising, I mean, he's not as, as has much money as Seth Magaziner or Nellie Gorbea. So um, he's he's just trying to pander to the to the left, to the progressives. And um, I think he's going to be in a little bit of trouble because he's going to need those independent votes. And he's going to need those Democrats that went over to Trump. And I can tell you, there are many in the House of Representatives now in leadership that have reached out to me and said, what in God's name did McKee just do? 
So um, he's got pa- an uphill battle. Pablo, should he have done that fundraiser? Or was it smart to cancel it? Uh, you know, uh, it, it, this, this is what is driving me crazy about politics today. Um, I fundraised for a Republican, uh, being a member of the executive committee of the Democratic Party uh, at the time. I, I fundraised for Lincoln Chafee because I believed that he was the best candidate and the best policies. And what's happening now is that, you know, the tribalism that exists in politics uh, creates these gotcha opportunities where, uh, you know, uh, politicians have to, you know, pander constantly, uh, depending on who's asking the question. Um, Sarella donated to the campaign in December and, 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 and months before. He was chairman of the, of, the Trump, uh, uh, of the Trump campaign at the time when the money was received. So what it does is that it, it shows, you know, hypocrisy in, 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 uh, of our politicians uh, and of our leaders. If, if, if you thought it was okay, you know, to, to accept the, um, the, the money, if you thought it was okay, then, you know, it should be okay for, 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 for Sorella to fundraise for you and just, you know, let the chip fall where they may. Uh, we have to show a little bit more uh, strength uh, 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 of character, and and we have to stop the tribalism that you know. For because somebody is uh, supporting one or another candidate, all of a sudden that person is completely and absolutely removed from any opportunity to support uh, me as a candidate. What do you think, Mr. Political Strategist? <laughs> I agree substantively with Pablo. Um, I agree politically with Doreen. Who I think has solid analysis. It was I think it's a complete unforced error by McKee. He should have never gotten himself in the position of having um, Jerry Zarella be 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 a um, host at his own farm of uh, of one of his first sort of his first fundraiser as governor. I mean that that was just as a political decision. That 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 was a mistake. I do think on the narrow craven politics, he was better off getting out of it than sticking with it. Um, but I do think hey, it was unfair to Jerry Zarella, who didn't do anything wrong, and was and was un, and was and was sort of unfairly thrown into the news around this thing, and it didn't make McKee look very good. But given that he's going to be running in a Democratic primary, and given that Donald Trump is uh, probably you know a little less popular than the devil among Democrats, um, it'll be a close close race. Um, I think it was probably a wise you know damage control move. But, but you know what, what people are going to be doing now for the campaign? They're going to start looking at all the donations that, right. that, that people are, have given to all the candidates, to Nelly Gorbea, to Magaziner, to, 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 uh, to McKee, uh, to Elorza, and they're going to be trying to go for the gotcha. Oh, look at that. He took uh, $1,000 from this one or $500 from the other one. We have to stop the tribalism. If this country is going to move forward, we have to accept people for who they are. I agree completely. And even in the cleanup, he could have said something like, we welcome support from everybody. Exactly. I, I just said, I just thought that doing the first fundraiser, as much as I respect Jerry Zarella, sent the wrong message. I mean, there was also a way to clean it up in a more, uh, a more straightforward and, and um, better fashion than McKee did. And, and may, may I just add really quick, everybody's talking about unity, bringing both parties together on a national level, 
on a local level. <laughs> what McKee just did is not bringing people together. I mean, if anything, he just divided us up even more. But I also wonder, uh, Doreen, the politics. I've been thinking about a lot th this week. The potential Trump voters, they're not going to be go going for the progressive left. So, I mean, you want to bring them in. People are maybe looking for a moderate. But on the other side, people are worried about, well, you know, he's going to lose the left-hand side of it. So there's a political calculation to everything. But I thought, aren't those the type of voters, if McKee's going to lose the left, wouldn't he want to bring in some of the former Trump voters? I mean, look, Trump is Trump, right? But there are a lot of people who have, I voted for Democrats and Republicans, like Pablo probably with his support. It, it depends on the candidate, right? Trump was such a lightning rod. Everybody kind of gets lost in the controversy. But I think a lot of people are looking for a guy who's center of the road and, and to miss that opportunity to bring those people in. Is that what you were thinking as you saw it unfold? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he is, he, he's going to need more than just the Democratic vote. He's going to need the independents to come over to him. He's going to need some Republicans to come over to him. I mean, there's Democrats that disaffiliated from the party to vote Republican to vote for Donald Trump. After the election, they went back into the Democratic Party. So he, or being their independent or, or whatever their party affiliation is, he is going to need them. He's going to need a big war chest. He just, this was just a bad move on his part. Real quickly, we're looking at if I, I would agree completely if we were in a general election, we're looking at a Democratic primary. In a Democratic primary, um, he's, he's, you know, he's running in a multi-candidate Democratic primary field, which is his advantage. But what you don't want to do is go beyond. He's, he's already going to have issues that, you know, because of his position on charter schools and the rest. He's never going to get the hard core left wingers. On the other hand, Trump is toxic in the Democratic primary. So I just think it's a narrow political question for the primary, which is job one and probably the toughest race for him. Um, he did the right thing politically. I agree it was the wrong thing substantively. Rob, could he have done it without spitting in Donald Trump's eye? It, I think it was the wording of that. I understand calling it off. The wording just went right after Trump. And and a lot of people are saying it was almost like the deplorables comment, you know, Hillary Clinton from four But it years really ago. wasn't. And, and I think anytime, just as a political matter, and especially given that that Donald Trump, if he had if he had gone the way most ex presidents had and 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 been respectful, Donald Trump this week still saying the 2020 election um, was fraudulent, which is insane. But he he keeps doing it despite January 6th. Not previewing my outrage, by the way. But um, <laughs> so I would uh, but uh, so he you know. It, I don't think that spitting in the Donald Trump's eye was the problem. I do think the way that Jerry Zarella was treated was unfair. Okay. As many of you know, uh, we wouldn't be able to do Lively without the technology we have available this past year. Good news preview. We're getting back into the studio next week, so stay tuned for that. Um, but government by Zoom is our next topic. And I had a chance to sit down with John Marion, their longtime head of Common Cause, Rhode Island, to talk about the pluses and the minuses. You think uh, kids might not have been able to get any education at all, although virtual was not um, ideal. What about governments trying to govern the state house, local governments? Here's a little bit of what John Marion had to say about the pros and the cons. So the positives are that for certain public bodies, as we call them, school committees in particular, there's increased access. Put them on Zoom, you can have it on the laptop, on your kitchen counter as you're getting your kids fed. You can be more civically involved in your community. That's a huge positive. Another one is that public meetings that do take comment, you know, you don't have to drive from Westerly 
to Providence to speak at the General Assembly anymore. Another benefit um, is, and I think this is a great example, Central Falls, uh, Zoom allows you to do simultaneous interpretation in the other languages. A couple of weeks ago, the Providence City Council Finance Committee met. They had um, an amendment to the city budget of $500 million. It was completely remote meeting. Nobody could get a copy of that document. We need those sorts of guardrails on online meetings, right? So it needs to be, you know, you can't turn your camera off if you're, you're on the school committee, you know? We need to make sure it's you who's, who's voting on the school budget. We've got to, you know, require that they put the, the documents uh, online so that it's just like you're at the meeting and you can pick up the packet uh, and look at the budget before they vote on the budget. Doreen, you've uh, been a state representative. You've also been a town council person. I wonder, as you look at this on the local level, we'll talk about the state house in a minute. What do you think about it? To me, I've heard some people say a lot of governments like this, it may, it accommodates some people, but it also keeps them from having to face the throngs in person. What are your thoughts on this? Well, first off, I just, I love John Marion. He's always seems to be the voice of reason. I think Zoom was good at the beginning of the virus because we still needed to be informed on what was going on, whether it be, you know, town council, state house, whatever, what have you. But now it's time to go back. People miss that one-on-one. -on -one. When I was at the state house for the six years, people would just come up to me in the hallway and we would have that face-to-face -face conversation. And I would tell them what they, what, you know, I would answer the question or, or have a conversation with them. With Zoom, some of the state reps can actually dodge that a little bit because they can leave their answer you know, they can just leave their answer short. But I think people miss the one-on-one. -on -one. I think they miss engaging with their state representatives or their senators or their school school committee. So I think, I mean, yesterday, when I looked at the um, COVID numbers, we were literally 1.0%. It's time to get back. And I know that the governor said that pretty soon his press conferences were going to be in the state room up at the state house. So Zoom was good. Um, but it, it's time to, like you said, Jim, let's get back into the studio and let's get back at the state house where I think the legislators belong at this point. Pablo? I think we should do both. I think that, uh, you know, uh, at a time when we're trying to uh, tell people that they need to get more involved, that they need to learn more about the their civic duties and about uh, what happens in government, uh, Zoom provides a, a, an incredible, you know, learning tool for people to see how the sausage is made. So I think that I agree with Doreen, we should, we should go back to the in-person meetings, but we should always have the option of, of the Zoom uh, or, or video interactive uh, in order for uh, people that don't have the ability to take time out of work, to, to be at the state house in the, in the afternoon, um, to, to participate uh, as active members of society. Rob? Yeah, I agree. Um, the uh, but I do, I do think the in-person is important because the other thing is, Jim, just the way you control the show expertly as the moderator, I might add, um, if, if, you're at, if, if you're on Zoom and you're a constituent, you're at such a disadvantage to the to it. So if you're trying to make a point, sometimes, you know, you have people who just, you know, are disrespectful and then take too much time. But if you're trying to make a point and have interaction, the, the, the local elected official just has too much power. 
um, to cut you off, et cetera. So I think the in-person is important. I do like the, the, the continuing the Zoom option. Another option, although it, it wouldn't be participatory, but a lot of, um, a lot of local communities in most um, states, and I should know more about this in Rhode Island, I don't have, have their um, council meetings and school meetings televised on local cable access. So, so people should be able to watch it um, at, at a minimum but I like I like Pablo's um, idea of, of, of maintaining the Zoom option as a piece of the puzzle. Before we get to outrages, Pablo, uh, and maybe the rest of you, I just wanted to talk a, a little bit about where we are in COVID vaccinations. You know, you've been on the advisory committees and seen this roll out, some of the hesitancy. So now we're at that point. You know, a month ago we were talking about, oh, you know, there weren't enough vaccinations and the rollout, all this. Now we're swimming in vaccine. Where is the hesitancy and why do you think we're not getting, uh, why, are, why are all these slots going unfilled week to week? Uh, yeah, it really is uh, pretty sad. I work at Clinica Esperanza um, uh, vaccinating people and uh, we've, we've seen uh, a, a lot of decreases in the numbers of people showing up. Um, it is especially important for um, people of color. Latinos only are 35% are partially vaccinated and 24% fully vaccinated, even though at some point in the pandemic, there were almost half, half of the cases. So there's a lot of misinformation on social media um, that uh, is really creating uh, a, a hesitancy in the community. It's no longer about access, I believe. I believe that anyone that wants to be vaccinated can be vaccinated. People are afraid, people are, are, are not well informed, and, uh, and, and it's creating a problem, especially among young people. Uh, now we're seeing that the majority of, of cases, of new cases, are uh, among people under age 50, 35% uh, of all hospital admissions. So this is a problem uh, because we will continue to have a reserve of virus in the community with young people. And until uh, we reach herd immunity, COVID is going to be with us for a long time. Doreen, I also wonder what the incentive is for some of the younger people. I heard, I was listening to talk radio earlier this week, where they said, um, even if you get vaccinated and you you get a COVID test the night before the prom, you still have to wear a mask. So for the younger people, it's kind of like, why would I go through all this when I'm still going to be facing those restrictions? And I think the goalpost keeps moving as to when are we going to actually go back to normal? And I understand Governor McKee and the health department have, have a lot. This is, these are weighty decisions to make. But I think for younger people on the fence, they're like, well, what difference does it make to me? Well, I think a lot of younger people are saying, hey, look, I'm going to get the vaccine because I want to go to my prom or I want to go to my junior prom. I want to go to my senior prom. I want to go to a football game. I want to play soccer. And and they're getting the shot and nothing's changing. Like you said, they still have to wear that mask at a prom, which is absolutely ridiculous. And what I also think is ridiculous is that you you're 16 years old and you want to get the vaccine, that's fine. You need to talk it over with your parents. You shouldn't just go to the school and sign up and get that vaccine without your parents knowing. To me, that is the worst thing that could possibly happen. You, it, It's 16 years old. You can drive. You're still in high school. But you know what? You're talking about your health. What happens if something goes wrong and you don't tell your parents that you got your vaccine? Then what? Then what do you do? I would never allow my child to get a vaccine without without my permission. I'm yeah, not saying they shouldn't get it. You should ask your parents. The parents should be involved in this decision. Yeah, it's the medical age of consent uh, by state right. law, as Pablo well knows. Rob, just quickly before we go to outrages, your thoughts on the uh, vaccination? I, I think that, you know, first of all, we're doing relative to, to try to 
make the glass half full here. We're doing relatively well. We're up to close to 70% of people vaccinated. Um, and th that doesn't mean we can't be doing better. I do think what's going to happen, I hear Doreen's point, but is certain terms of colleges, most state colleges in New England are going to require, and, and, I, and I fully support this, by the way, um, college students to be vaccinated before they get back. You're going to see, you're going to see mask requirements lifted. They're already going to be lifted for, for the outdoors. But, but I would point this out, that, that everyone's getting those same broad messages, and yet, you, that yet the stubborn problems beyond in, in, some, in some of the minority communities, the stubborn problems are among Republicans. And that, and that is continued, and they're getting the no. same. It is if you look at no, it. No, it's not. I, it, most it, of my friends are Republicans, and they're already vaccinated. Look at, look at the statistics. I'm not saying that your friends aren't vaccinated. There are Republicans vaccinated. Republicans are much more va vaccine hesitant. Look at all the national statistics. That's just, that's just a factor. That's, 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 that's not in dispute. Um, I'm not saying your friends aren't vaccinated. That, and that is because of the misinformation on the right about the vaccine. So, so that, that's, a, that's, that's a hard thing to overcome. Um, but, but we got to keep overcoming it. And I think if we keep working on it, we're, it's all headed in the right direction. All right. Let's go to outrageous. Doreen, quick response to Rob on that. And maybe you could roll in your outrage or your kudo. Well, I'm just going to go to my outrage, which is about um, the unemployment and state representative count. Uh, Carol McEntee. I don't know what she is thinking, putting legislation in that your unemployment can follow you when you work. What about all our healthcare workers that have been working? All What about all our restaurant owners? What about all our police officers and firefighters? They were not employment. It wasn't following them to their job. That is the most ridiculous thing I have heard come out of the state house all year. Where does that stand now in terms of the legislation? Is it kind of working its way through or do you think? Oh, it's going to pass. It will oh, pass. It's not held for further study like all of your bills, Doreen? <laughs> well, actually, I got some really good bills passed. So uh, um, every, every bill, Jim, is held for further study until the wee hours of the morning when, you know, three days before a session ends. So when they uh, cash the chits in for your vote on the budget. Yeah, pretty right? much. <laughs> you know, all right. that's, a, that's a whole nother show. Pablo, right. what do you have, Pablo, what do you have this week? An outrage wow. or a kudo? I have an outrage. Uh, a new study published um, just recently showed that uh, when police killed a black person in their own, in their own neighborhood, a black mother's risk of delivering a child between the weeks of 32 and 33 weeks increased by 81%. Uh, in one data set and 35% in another data set. Uh, systemic racism, violence uh, by police is a public health crisis uh, at a time when maternal mortality for black women are three to four times that of whites. So we need to really take this seriously as a health problem. Wow. Rob, what do you have? I have a kudo and an outrage related. I have a kudo to Liz Cheney, who um, at, at great political risk, which she is very savvy and, and knew what the risk was, stood up for the truth, st stood up and said the election um, was free and fair, which, which all the evidence shows, stood up and criticized the former president um, about the January 6th insurrection. And, and um, John F. Kennedy said he profiles and courage was a short book because there's not a lot of uh, courageous politicians like her, dislike her. She's a courageous politician. And my outrage is Donald Trump. It could have been about 27 other people this week on the same topic, but he is, he is still the source. Completely undeterred by um, the havoc he wrecked on January 6th, he is continuing to advance the big line, continuing to say the, um, that the, the election was fraudulent, even, even doing nutty stuff like saying Michigan he won, even though he lost by like 100,000 votes. New Hampshire he clearly won too. Continuing it despite the damage and the wreckage. 
Instead, what he could have been doing is, uh, to, to get to my previous point about Republicans, is imagine Trump rallies around the country um, to get the vaccine. A, he would have, if he's serious about 2024, he would have probably boosted his approval ratings, which are just about dirt, by, um, by about 10 points. That should have been what he does. All right. I can't let that go unanswered. Doreen, you know what? We're out of time for the main show, but we're going to continue this on Lively Extra. We'll talk a little bit of national politics because I see I... Uh, uh, Doreen's got a little eye twitch going there. She wants to respond to Rob. So folks, go to ripbs.org slash lively. And as I had previewed in the beginning, folks, this is the last you're going to see us on Zoom. Thank heavens. Uh, we are going back into the Rhode Island PBS studios next week. I will kiss the ground when we get there. I don't know whether we'll have that on tape. Uh, Doreen and Pablo and Rob, thank you. A very quick half hour again. We'll continue this online momentarily. For the rest of you, come back here next week as a lively experiment continues. We hope you have a great week. experiment is generously underwritten by for more than 30 years a lively experiment has provided insight and analysis of important political issues that face Rhode Islanders I'm John Hazen White jr. and I'm proud to support this great program in Rhode Island PBS